Bibles to the book of Jeremiah and chapter 52. If you have one of our provided Bibles, you'll find the reading on page 500, oh, sorry, 683. We begin a new sermon series today on the book of Lamentations. A few months ago now, uh, one of you came to me and we were talking and mentioned that they had just read through the book of Lamentations and wow, was it a tough read. So that stuck in my mind for a while and partly because I wasn't all that familiar with the book of Lamentations myself. I then uh, saw an article that crossed my path, which spoke about the theology of lamentations. And so these things together uh, suggested that it would be good for us to look at this book together. Uh, Lamentations was most probably written by the prophet Jeremiah. It's five individual poems combined uh, into the five chapters of the book. And it is a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the Jews to Babylon. So we want to read something about how that came about from the last chapter of the book of Jeremiah before we look at Lamentations. So all of this happened around about 600 BC. And we read the word of God from Jeremiah 52 verses 1 through 30. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled and went out from the city by night by the way of a gate between the two walls, by the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were around the city. And they went in the direction of the Arabah, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah at Riblah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains, and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. 
In the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard, broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poorest of the people and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the artisans. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the basins and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. Also the small bowls and the fire pans and the basins and the pots and the lampstands and the dishes for incense, and the bowls for drink offerings. What was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. And as for the two pillars, the one sea, the twelve bronze bulls that were under the sea, and the stands which Solomon the king had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these things was beyond weight. As for the pillars... The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits. Its circumference was 12 cubits and its thickness was four fingers and it was hollow. On it was a capital of bronze. The height of the one capital was five cubits. A network and pomegranates all of bronze were around the capital and the second pillar had the same with pomegranates. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. All the pomegranates were 100 upon the network all around. And the captain of the guard took Seraiah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and seven men of the king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. This is the number of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judeans 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. Now if you turn over to Lamentations chapter 1. Today we consider the first poem, chapter 1, and the 22 verses that are before us. 
How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe, there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations into her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. 
Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves, in the house it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. May the Lord bless his word to his people. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, probably about 95% of the time that you ask someone, how are you doing? Now they will answer, I'm fine, thanks. Yep, doing well, thanks for asking. But of course, there are those odd occasions when the person will say, oh, well, actually, I've got this really nasty rash on my wrist. Or they'll tell you that they've recently had a death in the family. And, of course, news like that can be unexpected and shocking. Unexpected and shocking, and perhaps in the most brutal way possible, is probably the best way to describe the book of Lamentations. And this is because it is a description of a destroyed Jerusalem and a people who have been taken into exile. You see, the Old Testament makes much of the Jews as God's chosen people. He miraculously delivered them from out of Egypt and settled them in the promised land. He gave them His covenant law. He gave them prophets and priests and kings, including King David, man after God's own heart. He gave them Jerusalem and ordered that his temple be built in Jerusalem. And then he came down in the glory clouds to live in that temple among his people. Jerusalem is called the city of God or Zion. And Psalm 48 gives us some idea of how Jerusalem was viewed. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great King. Now we come to around 600 B.C. And imagine a traveler who once lived in Jerusalem, in Zion, traveling along the road, 
and they meet someone who has come from Zion. And they start talking, and of course, how is Zion is the question, expecting a response filled with the glory and splendor of Zion, but instead they are given the book of Lamentations. And I am sure you can imagine the look of shock and horror and the tears that would start to flow down the face of a Jewish person as he reads these poems that describe the destruction of Jerusalem. And their obvious question would be, how can this be? How can this be? How can it be that we suffer like this? Why has this suffering come upon us? And of course, these questions are always asked in times of national disaster. They were the questions of the Jews after World War II and the Holocaust that saw the death of six million Jews. They were the questions of the people of Bali when the tsunami of 2004 took 280,000 lives. And of course they were our questions after the earthquakes of 2011 took 185 lives. How can this be? Why has this happened to us? And I'm sure you will have heard these questions asked in this way in the past. If there is a God, how can there be so much suffering in the world? Why would he allow something like this to happen? Of course, behind that question, there are two basic assumptions. The first is that God is always good and kind only. And the second is that mankind is is kind and good and generous and, and doesn't deserve to suffer in this way. Well, as we study the book of Lamentations together, we're going to discover answers to the how can this be and why does God allow us to suffer like this questions in relation to the destruction of Jerusalem. And those answers will reveal that the basic assumptions behind the if there is a God, why has he brought this suffering? Does he allow the suffering to happen to us? We'll see that those assumptions are quite mistaken. And the answers come to us from a woman whom we shall call Lady Zion. Jerusalem, in the book of Lamentations, is personified. And personified, boys and girls, means that an object is described as though it were a person. And in the case of Jerusalem, uh, she is described as a woman. You can see that already in verse 1, where, where she is described as being like a widow, she who was great among the nations. If you are a daughter of a duke or a marquess or an earl, you are entitled to the title Lady. Perhaps the most well-known example of this is Lady Diana Spencer. So as we think about the Lady 
in Lamentations. We see in verse 1 that she's described as a princess. We see in verse 6 that she's a daughter of Zion. And so we are going to call her Lady Zion. And as we travel through the five poems of Lamentations, we shall hear from someone who speaks about Lady Zion, and we shall also hear from Lady Zion herself. In your ESV Bibles, for example, you will see that the last part of verse 9 is in quotation marks, and also the last part of verse 11, and everything onwards from verse 12. That's Lady Zion speaking herself. But the rest of the verses are a storyteller or a narrator describing Lady Zion. So as we hear about Lady Zion and as we listen to Lady Zion herself, she's going to teach us three things particularly. The first is that God is really, really angry. The second is that man is really, really bad. And the third is that God's grace is really, really powerful. And it's the second of those truths that is to the fore in chapter 1, that man is really, really bad. And when we say that man is really, really bad, we mean that he is morally corrupt and wicked. The theological term for that is depravity. So here in the first of five poems in Lamentations, we see that a tale of destruction reveals the extent of man's depravity. The tale of destruction reveals the extent of man's depravity. And we see this as we consider a description of Lady Zion's grief and then also as we hear the grief-stricken cry of Lady Zion. So first of all, the description of Lady Zion's grief in verses 1 through 11b. And this is not a description as though it was a news report. Here are the facts, read them, make up your own mind about them. The very first word of verse 1 is one of those Hebrew words that doesn't really have an English equivalent. Probably alas is about as close as we get. But as we read this question, how lonely sits the city, we need to read it in the sense of someone who has tears streaming down their face, who is bewildered and astonished and confused How lonely sits the city. How can this be? It is an agonized description of Lady Zion's grief. And it begins in verses 1 to 3 with a description of reversal or things turned upside down. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. And as those who live in Christchurch... I'm sure you understand this question. You've taken a trip into the center of the city or perhaps over onto the east side soon after the earthquakes and those neighborhoods that used to be full of people are empty. 
This bustling center of the town is is cordoned off and there are ruined buildings and there's no one to be seen. It's airy. And a Jew who was familiar with the sights and the sounds and the colors and the smells of busy Jerusalem at festival time would find this pile of nearly uninhabited ruins Eerie to say the least. Lady Zion is also described as being like a widow and a slave. When once she was great among the nations and a a princess among the provinces, God's chosen people have undergone a dramatic reversal of fortune. In verse 2 we read about Lady Zion's bitter tears. And I hope there is not a man among us who is not deeply moved by the tears of a woman, especially a woman that he loves. It should be that those tears stir our own emotions. So male or female, we are supposed to be deeply moved by the tears of Lady Zion. Next, we are told why she is crying. It is because none of her lovers comfort her and all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Now, this theme of there being no one to comfort Lady Zion is repeated five times in this first chapter. Verse 2, verse 9, verse 16, verse 17, verse 21. And the repetition of there being no one to comfort her is is like a flashing neon sign that the poet is setting before us to get our attention. It's very deliberate. We'll just take note of this now and we'll come back to it later. For now, let's focus on Lady Zion's lovers. You will see that she mentions them again herself over in verse 19 where she says, I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. So let's think about this for a moment. We have the widow of verse 1, who is sad because her lovers are not there to comfort her. And of course we wonder to ourselves, what about the husband? Why no mention of her husband? Why the mention of her lovers? Well, widow would suggest that her husband is dead, but note that she is described as like a widow, which means she is a woman who once had a husband. But if we put our Old Testament theology hats on, we remember that the relationship between God and the Jews is described frequently in the Old Testament as a marriage. God has married himself to his special covenant people. And there was to be this exclusive relationship between the Jews and God. They were to worship God and be devoted to God alone. But is that a good description of the life of Israel? It's not, is it? Instead, again and again, we read of them prostituting themselves to the idols of the surrounding nations. 
So the prophets repeatedly came to the people of Israel and accused them of prostituting themselves to the gods of Canaan and warning them that though he was patient, he would not tolerate this forever. Think of the prophecy of Hosea. Hosea is told to marry a prostitute and to frequently go and rescue her from the beds of her lovers and to bring her back home so that Hosea can understand what it is like for God with Israel. The lovers of Lady Zion then are the surrounding nations and their idol gods. Lady Zion is like a widow, finally abandoned by God, her husband, because of her multiple lovers. And we know from the history of Judah that in the months leading up to the visit of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Judah made several alliances with the surrounding nations despite being told by the prophets not to do so and to trust in God. When the crunch came and the Babylonians turned up, none of those nations honored their alliances. They deceived her. They were not there in her moment of need. Now, I wonder if this scene reminds you of any one of Jesus' parables. As you think of Lady Zion lying there in the dust and the ashes of the rubble, She has no friends. They've all abandoned her. Does that remind you of any one of Jesus' parables? Anyone want to venture a guess? The prodigal son. Exactly. The prodigal son. He got a share of the inheritance. He was loaded with funds. Left his family behind went off to a foreign land, lived a reckless, lavish lifestyle, visited many prostitutes, we learn, until eventually the money ran out and he found himself sitting in the mud of a pigsty, wishing that he could eat the food of the pigs because his friends had abandoned him once that money ran out. And you know, sadly, this same scene is repeated again and again, even today, often by young people. They don't want to live according to God's rules and God's boundaries as laid before them by their parents. They want to enjoy the good life out there in the world. But do you know where it leads, boys and girls and young people? It often leads to a hospital bed or a prison cell or an STD clinic, lives in turmoil. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
So already in these opening verses, Lady Zion is saying, man is really, really bad. Verses 4 through 6 are a description of Lady Zion being emptied out. Three times a year, all the men of Israel were to travel to Jerusalem Bring their families if they could for the, for the great festivals of sacrifice and worship to the Lord. And, and the population of Jerusalem would swell enormously. And in the days leading up to these festivals, the people of Israel would travel from every direction and they would meet each other on the roads and they would sing the Psalms of the Ascents as they, as they came up nearer and nearer to Jerusalem. Now the streets are empty. The roads are empty. The roads to Zion mourn, we see in verse 4, for none come to the festival. And the description of being emptied out continues as we read in verse 4 that her priests groan. We read about that in Jeremiah 52. They were slaughtered. We read about her virgins have been afflicted and I think we all know what horrors those words hint at for women in times of war. In verse 5, that her children have gone away. So Lady Zion is like a widow and she is also childless. There is this deathly silence that hangs over and emptied out Jerusalem. Verse 6 speaks of Lady Zion's former majesty, but all of that is gone now. William Westmore Story is a sculpture artist. In 1879, he carved a statue that now resides in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. It is a statue of a woman who sits on a broken throne. Her shoulders are slumped, and her face is full of anguish. Story called his sculpture Jerusalem in her desolation. And he used lamentations as his text. Lady Zion is emptied out because of war. And this screams out to us again that man is really really bad. But it gets worse as we read the description of the violation of Lady Zion in verses 7 through 10. Her foes gloat over her. They mock at her downfall. She is filthy. She is despised because now she is naked and violated. She herself groans and turns her face away, we see at the end of verse 8. Now, there are two things going on with this imagery. On the one hand, it was customary in Israel for a woman who had been caught in adultery to have her skirts lifted up so that she could be exposed before she was then stoned to death. So Lady Zion is the adulterous prostitute who has been shamefully exposed. 
But this scene is also a horrifyingly accurate description of the aftermath of the crime of sexual assault. One of the lead news stories in this past week has been the sexual assault of a a woman at Stanford University in the USA. It's been all over the news. And at the trial of the man found guilty of this crime, this woman read out a victim impact statement which is eerily familiar with what is described in verse 8. Sexual assault happens all the time, all over the world, but sadly it is an all too common part of war. And it would have been also in Jerusalem. It is a vile crime. It is another demonstration of the fact that man is really, really bad. But the violation of Lady Zion is not just physical, it's also material. Verse 7 speaks about the precious things that were hers from days of old. And then verse 10 tells us that the enemy has stretched out his hand over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations into her sanctuary. The precious things are the treasures of the temple that we read about in Jeremiah 52, plundered by the Babylonians who were not even supposed to be allowed into the temple. So Lady Zion has suffered the twin violations of sexual assault and robbery. And if you watch the news, you will have seen images of bombed out cities and looted temples in Syria and Iraq in recent months and years. And they give us just a a hint or a glimpse of what it means for a city to be violated, as happened to Lady Zion. And when people see scenes like this, of course, it's understandable that they cry out, how can this be? Why has this happened to us? But for now, our response can be that, our only response can be that man is really, really bad. Finally, in connection with the agonized description of Lady Zion's grief, the first part of verse 11 describes a scene of starvation. In war, life can end with a stroke of a sword or a gunshot or a bomb blast, and that is awful. But perhaps it is preferable to death by starvation. The section we read earlier from Jeremiah tells us that Jerusalem was under siege for two years, and it got so bad that there was no longer any food left for the people. So what do you do when there's no food? Well, we're not told in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, but if you turn over to Lamentations 4 verse 10, you will see what happens when there is no food. Lamentations 4 verse 10. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children they became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. You need any more convincing that man is really, really bad? 
Now, congregation, before we hear from Lady Zion herself, I want you to note briefly some of the words used to describe Lady Zion. In verse 1, she is described as a slave. Verse 3, hard servitude. Verse 5, a captive. Verse 7, afflicted and wandering. Do those words remind you about anything from the history of Israel? Slavery, captivity, afflicted and wandering? Of course they do. People of Israel have been rescued out of Egypt, the house of slavery, captivity and affliction. And then they had gone on their wilderness wanderings where they had learnt many powerful lessons. What we see, though, is that Lady Zion has learned nothing. And she's ended up right back in slavery, captivity, affliction, and wandering. And before you shake your head at Lady Zion in disgust, tut, tut, she is getting what she deserves. Hoo-hoo. Ask yourself this. Am I quick to learn the lessons that result from my sin? Do I learn that sin has consequences and never go back and commit that sin again? If I was telling your life story today instead of Lady Zion's, would it be a story of one glorious victory over sin after another? I know it wouldn't be if I was telling you my life story. So right now in your heart, you should not be standing over Lady Zion, wagging your finger at her wicked behavior. You should be lying next to her in the dust, turning your face away in shame at your own sin. You should be joining Lady Zion and confessing that I am really really bad. Now perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking, hold on pastor, uh, maybe you're going a bit too far there. I mean, Look at us shiny people sitting here in church. We're not that bad. Surely we're not that bad. In fact, aren't we quite good? Most of the time at least. If you're thinking that to yourself, then you either don't know what sin is or you're not really being honest. Good, by God's definition, is absolutely perfect obedience, including both the outward act and the inward motivations, all done for the glory of God. And there is not a single human being anywhere who comes close to God's standard of goodness. We are lawbreakers and sinners with morally corrupt hearts even as we sit here in church. That's why Psalm 14 verse 3 says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
So, the agonized description of Lady Zion's grief reveals the extent of man's depravity. Man is really, really bad. And though we might be crying out, Pastor, that is enough, there's more evidence that we need to consider from the grief-stricken cry of Lady Zion herself in verses 11c through 22. The first thing we note in her cry is a cry of recognition. In verse 11, uh, sorry, in verse 12, she calls on all of those who are passing by to look and see if there is any sorrow like her sorrow. And she's not asking people to compare her sorrow with theirs and see that, that hers is much more severe. She's not establishing a kind of premier league table of, of suffering with some at the top and, and some at the bottom. What she wants, what she's saying with these words is she is recognizing that her sorrow couldn't be any worse for her. It is as bad as it can get. And this is because of the reason for her suffering. In verse 5, the narrator said, The Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. And in verse 8, Jerusalem sinned grievously. So in verse 12, Lady Zion says that her sorrow is a sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Lady Zion recognizes that the day of judgment that God warned would come for a long time has finally come and she has no one to blame but herself. It is her own sins that have brought the suffering down upon her. She deserves the fierce anger of God. And as you read through verses 13 through 17, Lady Zion uses imagery from siege warfare that she has just endured. She speaks of fire. She speaks of a net being spread. Verse 14 gives us the imagery of prisoners chained together at the neck. She speaks of an assembly of young men or, or an army being crushed. And of course, while all of this was actually done by the Babylonian army, Lady Zion knows who was behind it. It was the hand of the Lord. And so again and again, she repeatedly speaks of Him doing it. And the Lord did this. And the Lord rejected me. And the Lord gave me over. And He did this because, as she says in verse 14, of her transgressions. And transgressions, boys and girls, means wrongdoing, law-breaking, sin. Lady Zion recognizes that her suffering has come upon her because of her wickedness. Lady Zion recognizes that she is really, really bad. And this leads her, as we come to verse 18 through 22, to confession. She says at the beginning of verse 18, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against His word. And in verse 20b, I have been very rebellious. 
And in verse 22b, that the Lord has dealt with her because of her many transgressions. And we could say a whole lot of about confession here and, and its importance. But today we quickly take note of 1 John 1 verses 8 through 9, which says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The solution for sin is to confess your sins. But note that as Lady Zion confesses her sins, she does not ask for forgiveness. She does not ask for deliverance. She doesn't ask for rescue. Instead, she switches mid-prayer from confession to intercession or warning. Perhaps is a better way to describe it. Verse 18b, she says, Hear all you peoples and see my suffering. She calls on everyone to look at her and to learn from what has happened to her. And then she speaks again of captivity and death and starvation and and the death that the sword brings in verse 20. When we come to verse 21b, note her words. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. What she prays is that the Lord may visit the same judgment and destruction on the surrounding nations that he has visited on her. More than that, she is praying that her example might be universal. What Lady Zion teaches us here, in effect, is that the judgment she has endured for being really, really bad is deserved by every nation and every individual because they too are really, really bad. And unless they confess their sins, they will be judged by God. Congregation, please look back at verse 9 of chapter 1. Verse 9. There our narrator says this of Lady Zion. She took no thought of her future. She went through life thinking that so long as she turned up at the temple occasionally and gave sacrifices and sang some psalms, it didn't matter if she committed sexual immorality, worshipped idols, and committed injustice on those who were poor and needy and distressed. She could live as she pleased. She took no thought of her future. But as we have already read about God from Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Every single one of you needs to confess, Lord, I am really, really bad. I deserve your judgment and eternal punishment. Because if you do not, 
you will end up in a place far worse than the place Lady Zion describes in this chapter. Lady Zion speaks of a place where there is no comforter. Five times in this poem. You know, perhaps there is no better description of hell than that. A place where there is no comfort, where there is no comforter for eternity. A place where all of the destruction and devastation and pain and anguish that we read in this chapter is multiplied a million times without any hope of relief. That is the destiny of those who refuse to acknowledge to the Lord that they are really, really bad and confess their sins. For Lady Zion, eventually, comfort came. Her reference to no comforter points us to the poetry of Isaiah 40, where we read these words, Comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. These words point us forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to be not only the comfort and consolation of Israel, but the comfort and consolation of all of those who look to the Lord and confess their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And we see this even within the poem of Lamentations 1 itself. I would ask you to look again at verse 12 as we draw to a close. You see there in verse 12, Lady Zion asks, Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord afflicted on the day of his anger. And I would ask you to think about Lady Zion being despised and afflicted and abandoned and naked and having many transgressions bound into a yoke and set on her neck, and having no one to comfort her, and to think of these words describe a worse suffering that we find in the Bible. Of course, it is the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I would ask you to listen again to the cry of Jesus from the cross of Calvary. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For those words speak of a far worse suffering than what was endured by Lady Zion. Isaiah tells us about his suffering, that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we estranged him, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with his stripes. We are healed. I am really, really bad. I deserve the judgment and punishment of God. But I confess my sins and I believe that by His broken body and poured out blood, my sins are forgiven. But be warned, if you do not believe this and if you have not confessed your sins, then the, the, the devastation and the destruction and the despair of Lady Zion described here gives you some idea of the greater devastation, destruction, and despair that awaits you unless you turn to the Lord in confession and faith. Amen. By way of response, we want to sing the words of number 440.